Please turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 26. Numbers chapter uh, 26. The missions team, this group of teenagers, they're doing a takeover of children's ministry and youth ministry. So if you have uh, kids in those ministries, uh, thank these teens for, for coming and uh, serving. So. And the title of our message is The Next Generation. So timely. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for young people and your heart to, to raise up the next generation, to know you, to, to love you, to serve you. And Lord, we pray for this group of 34 teens that's here this week, that it would be a formative time in their life, that you would speak to them, that you would show them your glory. Lord, for kids in children's ministry and youth ministry, that you'd be pouring out your spirit, that you'd be showing us ways to invest in the next generation. So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses is about ready to pass away. We're going to study God's instruction to Moses of how to pass the baton to Joshua. There's been an entire generation that has died in the wilderness because of unbelief, and now a new generation is being raised up by the Lord to go into the promised land. God could have had this be the end of the children of Israel. But in his grace, he passes on the promises of God to the next generation. The unbelief of this first generation didn't end God's work. So we're, we're encouraged, even in the midst of our unbelief, God's working in the next generation and God's raising up uh, leaders. Chapter 26 is the second census of the book, the second counting of uh, the book. We look at verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all of the congregation of the children of Israel, from 20 years old and above, by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. So everyone 20 and above, the men 20 and above, that are able to go to war uh, for Israel. So the rest of the chapter lays out the different tribes and the numbers from each tribe. If we jump to verse 54, or excuse me, verse 51, these are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. So that's how much that is totaled up in this second census, and it's very close to the number of the first census that we saw at the beginning of the book. But remember, that first group has passed away, has died in the wilderness, and this is the second generation that has been uh, raised up. Verse 54 uh, tells us that their portion in the land is in proportion to the size of the tribe. So the larger the tribe, the more land that they would get. Then we see that the Levites are not given an inheritance in the land. They're st strategically placed in different parts of the country, but were given no uh, inheritance. God was their inheritance. And this census is summarized in verse 63. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these were not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron, the priests, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. 
For the Lord said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb the son of Zephlin and Joshua the son of Nun. So only Caleb and Joshua from that first generation are going to enter into the promised land. And what marked them is they were willing to walk by faith. They believed that God was bigger than the giants. We don't want to be this generation that wanders in the wilderness through unbelief. Will God be faithful? Yes. Will he be faithful to the next generation? Absolutely. But God had something better for this generation. Still God's people, but never entered into God's will uh, for them. We enter into God's will through faith and obedience. This is a tough road for Joshua and Caleb. They got really good at doing funeral services. 600,000 soldiers plus their wives, over a million people were, were buried in the wilderness, watching their friends, their family, everyone that they knew passing away, but yet Caleb and Joshua maintained that hope to see God bring them into the, the promised land. So all of this that we're reading tonight is preparing this next generation. When they come into the land, these are things that they're supposed to do. And we, we want to pass on the knowledge of the Lord to the next generation. And also life lessons that God has taught us. Ways that God's shown you his glory and lessons that he's taught you. So your kids, your grandkids, young people in our church, in our community, they can stand on our shoulders. You know, we want that for our kids, that they have a, a better starting point than where we started from in every aspect, but especially their relationship with the Lord. So chapter 27 is the inheritance laws. Then came the daughters of Zephahed, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Macri, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and these were the names of their daughters. The names are listed. So these group of, of daughters come with a question to Moses. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priests, and before the leaders and all of the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered against the Lord, in the company with Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. So our dad has passed away, and he had uh, no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he has no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So even though my dad didn't have any sons, we still want our inheritance in the promised land, and we want our father's name to continue. I like what Moses does. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. After all of these years of Moses serving the Lord, he doesn't think, well, I've got this figured out. I've got the answer. He still takes this before the Lord. And this is what we should do with our difficulties. This is what we should do with our, our questions is, is to bring them before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zelophehad Speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance amongst their fathers and cause the inheritance of their fathers to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, 
then you shall cause this inheritance to pass to his daughters. So they're right. The Lord says they're right. They should receive the inheritance. God's law is extremely thorough, but it hadn't covered this particular issue. Did God make a mistake? No. God leaves out some details purposely so we have to seek him. He gives us the foundation of who he is, the foundation of how he wants us to live our lives, but there are some things for us that are not laid out black and white in scripture. They're few, but they are there, and the purpose is so we go through this same process, I've gotta seek the Lord on this. What exactly would the Lord have me to do? And God gives his uh, direction to the children of Israel. In verse nine, if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closer to him and his family that he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment just as the Lord commanded Moses. So the inheritance is to stay in the family. This next section is God raising up Joshua to be the next leader as Moses passes away. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into the Mount of Abiram and see the land which I've given to the children of Israel. And when you see it, you shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. For it was in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my commandment to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses was instructed to speak to the rock. He got angry and he struck the rock. And because of this, God said, Moses, you cannot go into the promised land. Moses is the giver of the law and an amazing man of God, but he fell short and he wasn't able to enter into the promised land. God is painting a picture here for us because the law doesn't get us into the promises of God. We're gonna fall short just like Moses. We need a Joshua to lead us into God's promises, to lead us into salvation, a life of, of the Holy Spirit. And Joshua points to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate leader, the ultimate savior that goes before us, that's able to lead us into God's promises. We're able to enter into God's promises by faith, the way the children of Israel entered into God's promises by faith, not according to the works of, of the law. So, so Moses is only able to look in at the promised land. Speaking of God's grace, we look at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, and who comes to visit Jesus as he is glorified for that mo moment? Moses and Elijah. Moses got to go into the promised land. Not by works, but by grace, by Jesus. God snuck him in. God snuck him in by, by grace. We really have to rely upon the grace of God. We're aware of our sin, we're aware of our shortcomings, but the promises of God are in Jesus. Yes and amen, Jesus is the one that, that brings us into the promises. In verse 15, then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, 
the God of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation of Israel. This is Moses' prayer. God, would you set up a leader over the children of Israel? When we think of transition, transition of leaders, leaders will change. Moses's will move on. They'll, they'll pass away. They'll, they'll fall short. God will raise up new leaders. And in transition, we need to be praying, Lord, would you raise up the right leader? Who is it that you have for this position at this time? And so wise to, to pray for that. God, raise up leaders. We, we pray that for our country. We pray that for our city. We pray that for our church and for the body of Christ as a whole. God, we need the leaders that you have chosen. Because if God hasn't raised up Joshua, what good is it? If it's just a search committee that's like, yeah, we, we think Joshua is the guy. But God hasn't raised up Joshua, it's not going to work. It has to be God's calling on a, a person's life and God's quipping. And Joshua was the one that the Lord was raising up at this time. Moses realized how important it was for, for God to raise up the right leader. Who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep who have no shepherd. So the job of the leader was to go before them. I know this is simple, but as a leader, you can't lead from behind. You've gotta lead out front. And Joshua was to go out before the children of Israel. He was to know what God was calling the children of Israel to do, was to have faith and, and lead out in faith. And we're all leaders. We may not think of ourselves that way, but God's put us in certain spheres of, of leadership. And it's not this sense of lording over people or being prideful, I'm going out before you, but it's going out before them in servant leadership. If your family's taking a, a vacation, you're thinking, how can I go before them and try to prepare the way and make this the most enjoyable as possible? That's, that's going, going before them. You know, if you're in charge of a group of boys and you're taking them camping, you know, someone's putting together this father-son camp out that we have coming up in, in July, and they've gone before us and picked out the campground and figured out some, some details, and, and that's leadership. It, it's thinking, okay, what are the needs for these people that God has entrusted me to, to, to lead, and I'm going to go before them to, to serve them? And that was the purpose of God raising up a leader God doesn't want them to be sheep that have no shepherd. So God values godly servant leadership. He wants to put godly leaders in place. We see throughout the scriptures that God wants there to be servant leaders that glorify God in serving his people. And so he's looking to raise that up inside of the church. We need that kind of leadership in our city. It really impacts our our city, when we have godly type of leadership, our country needs that, that type of leadership. But without godly leadership, we're like sheep that, that have no shepherd. In verse 18, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. So, so God answers this prayer and says, It's Joshua, and I want you to lay your hands on Joshua. Why did God choose Joshua? Well, 
we know that he's a man of faith, that he did go into the promised land and said, God is big enough to defeat these giants. He's a man of faithfulness. He served Moses as his assistant for years, being faithful in the little things. If you're desiring to be used by God, these are two traits that God still values today. Have faith. Trust that God's bigger than the difficulties. As we sang tonight, that he brings light into darkness. Also, be faithful in the little things. Be faithful right where God has placed you. Jesus said, if you can't be faithful in the little things, how are you gonna be faithful in the things that are larger that are entrusted to you? Our mind tends to think, well, if the opportunity was bigger, I'd be faithful, but I don't wanna be faithful with this, this small opportunity. Joshua was faithful in the little things to the point now where God says he's gonna be the next leader of the children of Israel. Also, God's spirit is upon him. This is so important. In looking for leaders in, in transition is God's spirit. Because it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. God doesn't live on paper. He's looking to fill people with his spirit that will serve God in the power of the spirit. And Joshua had God's spirit upon, upon his life. As we think again about, God, would you use me, my life? Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to have faith, but Lord, also help me to be filled with your spirit. I can't attempt to do this apart from, from your, your spirit. I can't have the fruits of the spirit in my heart and life apart from you. I was in a children's ministry of another church in town uh, this week and one of the hallways of the children's ministry it had the fruits of the spirit. It was big, plastered on the wall and I was just standing there looking at the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and, and gentleness. And I'm thinking, Lord, I really need a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit. I'm not seeing a lot of these fruits uh, in my life and I long for these fruits to, to be in my life. And I love it when the fruits of the Spirit are in someone's life. Isn't it so fun to hang out with somebody that's filled with the love of God? That's filled with God's peace and God's gentleness and kindness and self-control. It's like, yeah, I can't wait to, to spend time with them. I can't wait to, to see them. We need that filling of the Spirit. Jesus said, we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more so Will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He wants us to ask, even though the Spirit lives inside of us. God, would you fill me with your Spirit? If you're in a position of trying to identify and pick another leader, look for someone who's filled with the Spirit of God because we can't serve the Lord apart from his Spirit. Set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. This is important to identify here's a new leader that God has raised up and to point them out, not for a sake of pride, but so that the people know, hey, this is the, the new leader that God has raised up. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all of the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. This is really wise. Before Moses passes away, he's gonna give some of his authority to Moses, or excuse me, to Joshua. So when Moses does pass, it's really natural. Joshua's already been doing this, so the people are ready for him to, to step in 
and have that position. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in. He and the children of Israel with them and the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. This is the validation in prayer, an important process. This is the leader that God's raised up. We're going to validate them as a leader. We're going to pray for them and ask God's blessing to be upon them. God's work didn't stop with an unfaithful generation and through Moses' death. You would think of the death of a generation, the death of Moses, God's work is done. Nope. He's raising up a new generation. And he's raising up a new leader, Joshua. Transition is hard. Transition is difficult. If you walk with the Lord long enough, a Moses-type person in your life is going to be taken away. It may be a pastor. It may be a mentor. It may be an author that you really appreciate, someone that teaches on a podcast, someone that God has used in your life, and, and all of a sudden, they're gone. They, they pass away. They move on to another ministry. They make a mistake, and they're no longer in ministry. Their, their sin disqualifies them. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do when that happens, when your Moses is, is not longer, no longer there? Transition provides us the opportunity to look to the Lord and realize it was never Moses to begin with. Praise the Lord for Moses, but the Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is the one who's faithful. The Lord is the one who is doing this work. Isaiah, the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uzziah was Isaiah's contemporary. Isaiah is the prophet. Uzziah is the king. Second Chronicles 26 tells us that Uzziah sought the Lord. So he thrived spiritually. He conquered enemies. He fortified Jerusalem. He built up a strong military. He was a great leader. Sounds like who we're longing for in our country. Someone who would seek after God make good decisions, cause the country to be stable, build up the military, all those type of things. But then it goes on to say that Uzziah's heart, when it was strong, led to his destruction. He got prideful, and he decided that he could go into the temple and offer a burnt offering. That was only for the priests to be able to do, and God struck him with leprosy, and he lived in isolation till he died. It was when Uzziah fell and Uzziah died that then Isaiah saw the throne of God high and lifted up. And I got to tell you, please hear this. There is only one person that sits upon the throne in absolute perfection, and that's God. That's God. So Moses's will die. Moses's will fail. Uzziah's will, will fail. They'll, they'll pass away. Leaders will come and go. God always has a way of, of changing things up so that our faith is in Jesus, so that our eyes are upon Jesus. 
this section of scripture is dear to me because 16 years ago now, I transitioned from being the youth pastor at our church to being the lead pastor. And I was 27 years old. So I was on the Joshua end of this. I was on the receiving end of this. And Pastor Brian at the time on Wednesday nights was teaching through the book of Numbers right before our transition happened. When I started years ago, 16 years ago, the first book I started teaching on Wednesday nights was Deuteronomy and then going into Joshua. This church has a rich history of going through the Bible verse by verse and, and chapter by chapter. And a lot of these things in this section of scripture were formative for us as we transitioned. There's, there's really awesome truths here when you're walking through a transition and I was blessed to, to be on the receiving end of that. But also it has deep meaning for me tonight because our church right now is going through a lot of leadership transition, which is really exciting and also difficult. But Rich Bailey's retiring out at the Ellicott campus. He was sharing with me on their last Sunday, they had 39 kids in children's ministry and 96 adults. And the children's ministry is about the size of this right here before the chairs start. I mean, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's a small, small basement. So Rich is gonna come back here to the central campus and do some pastoral ministry part-time, uh, Lord willing. And you guys know this, we've been talking about this, but Josh is moving out to be the Ellicott campus pastor. Tim's moving up to be the high school pastor. Tyler is gonna be the junior high pastor. Dan Johnson stepped into young adults as well as doing missions, right? We're blessed to bring James Rainierson on the pastoral staff as he's gone through school discipleship and school ministry. And a lot of these decisions have been made because of principles in this section of scripture. These are, these are men who've walked with the Lord, men who have been faithful, men who have had the best interests of the church in mind that are filled with the, the spirit of God, but it's also difficult. I'm sure there's some people out in Ellicott that are going, oh, Rich is retiring. Like, in a sense, he's the one that God's used in my life, right? Then you, you have high school kids that are going, oh no, Josh is stepping out as the high school ministry and junior high. There's sixth graders that are coming up into the junior high ministry. They're like, I've been looking forward to having Tim for all of these years. But who's in charge? God's in charge. And he's moving things around for his glory. So the lesson for us in this is to keep our eyes on the Lord. So chapter 28 is the instruction on the daily offerings, all of the offerings that they were to give, and it is a review from the book of Leviticus. So daily offerings, Sabbath offerings, monthly offerings, offerings at Passover, and the Feast of Weeks. That's a quick chapter right there. And chapter 29 is the offerings at the Feast of Trumpets, the offerings at the Day of Atonement, and then the offerings of the Feast of Tabernacles, the importance of, of this worship. We're gonna end with an interesting chapter, which is the law concerning vows or commitments. And remember, this is all in preparing the next generation. So verse one, then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel saying, 
This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he must not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreement by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. So first, if you make a commitment, God wants you to fulfill it. If you let your yes be yes and let your no be no. If a young woman makes a commitment and doesn't run it by her dad first and dad comes in and says, nope, that's not good for her and releases her from that commitment, then she would be released from that commitment that she made. Say, for example, she committed to to babysit for a month and dad's like, well, she really doesn't have the time to be able to, to babysit for a month. What I find interesting about this is it shows the covering of dad. It shows that dads are to be coverings for their kids and to be looking out for them and to be giving them counsel on decisions and commitments that that they make. And the husband's also to be a covering for their wife. If indeed she takes a husband bound by her vows or a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. Also any vow of a widow or of a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. So a woman's married, makes a commitment, husband hears it and says, no, I don't think that that's the best thing, then she'd be able to be released from that commitment. This sounds so old-fashioned, doesn't it? In, in some ways we go, man, is God giving less preference to women? Uh, no, not at all. I, I think that this comes to servant leadership of dads, servant leadership of husbands, trying to have the best interest of their wives and kids uh, at stake and the desire for husbands and dads to be a covering to their wives and to their, their kids. If a woman's a widow or divorced and she makes a commitment, then that it needs to stand. If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and they made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them vow on that day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response, whatever to her from day to day, 
Then he confirms all her vows or all the agreement that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he doesn't make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes that the Lord commanded between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter and her youth in her father's house. God's faithful. God's raising up that next generation even though the parents were unfaithful. God's faithful. Moses passes away. God's faithful to raise up Joshua. Were your parents unfaithful? Would you say, man, that's my story. My parents didn't know the Lord. Maybe my parents did know the Lord, but they didn't walk in the things that God had for them. God's faithful. He wants to do work in your heart and do work in in your life. Has your Moses passed away? God's gonna be faithful. Keep your eyes on Jesus. His work is not limited to a particular person, a particular individual. Let's stand together and let's pray and thank the Lord for his faithfulness. Father, we do thank you that you're faithful. And as hard as transition is, when there's change in our jobs, change in our health, change in relationships, when a Moses comes and goes, Jesus, we know that you alone are on the throne. We desire to see you afresh. As we take communion tonight, we remember your broken body. We remember your shed blood. God, we do pray that you would just work in this next generation, that you would raise up Joshua's, that you would raise up a generation to believe and trust your promises. Or would you grow us in servant leadership in the different areas that you've placed us? Or would you raise up new leaders in our church? Or would you raise up godly leaders in Colorado Springs? We pray for the godly leaders that we have that you would strengthen them. Our leaders that don't know you would turn to you. On a state level, on a national level, Lord, we need godly leadership. People that are filled with with your spirit. So God, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.